people on Twitter are like, well, don't you know, you never go up into the attic. You have to go up on the roof. How the fuck do you get on the roof of your own house? Like from the ins, like you, do you have to go on the outside and then just wait and then and then like wait, tread water until the water level gets high enough for you to reach the roof? Like how are you supposed to get to the roof at that point? Uh, I guess they want you to get to the roof while you can put a ladder on the ground. I just feel like this is an impractical bit of advice. I mean, of course, of it depends on what kind of house you have. So you are like, I keep an axe in the attic and it's on. Then I go up and I oil it and I rust, uh, like, you know, sharpen it every month so it doesn't get like rusted oh, and dull. I'm like, really? You do that every month? You maintain the axe that you keep in your attic? Like, how? Can't you get an axe envelope thing? That, so you don't axe have to, envelope? Oh, like, like a an holder? axe case. Oh, case. That goes over the sharpened part of it. Anyway. Yeah, I should have been like, excuse me, yeah. don't you have an envelope for your axe, <laughs> sir? Hey, this is Amrita and Andrew. We're writers on a podcast journey to find our way through freelance life. If you're thinking about taking the leap off the beaten path in any part of your life, our inexpert advice is don't think twice. <laughs> I like it. It's really, it's cozy. It sounds like a, like a fireplace. It's a birch, birch flavored, scented candle. Um, mother has many scented candles in the house. Like mother, like son. Yeah. Actually, okay. I feel, feel that in a lot of ways about being here in this house. Um, like when I am looking for something specific, and I like went to go open a cabinet and like everything has its has like these little caddies inside <laughs> the cabinets that are all that have like and it's like organized by item type by like genre of item and then those are all organized like just like everything is like and like the coffee filters are like next to the coffee um canister and just like everything is just so in front of the secondary coffee canister of, yeah but in case we should run you... out of the first one um like all the sort of things like that are like it, it's just like a it feels like a view into your brain or like how you how you think because like i'm sure you being here it's like oh well everything makes it perfect sense yeah my mom and i organize ourselves in the same way but my mom uh, has the luxury of living by herself, so she can organize exactly oh, the way she wants thing. to. Oh, it's a beautiful thing. It's a beautiful thing to be in the house of a woman who has everything just the way she wants it, you know? Yeah. It's like, it's perfectly designed for her own comfort. There's like something that's really like, feels luxurious, luxurious. about that. Well, we're fortunate to be within driving distance because we are... Refugees of New Orleans and Hurricane Ida. So that's why we're here to begin with. Yeah. For a few days or a week or well, TBD. However long, yeah. Hard to say. Until the power comes back in New Orleans because we did flee quickly, early. So it wasn't really a flee, but. Yeah, it was the most like relaxed fleeing that you can imagine, actually, um, in, our, in our case, because we're just the two of us and right. we travel light and all that. But we didn't take everything with us so oh my gosh i'm like already out of underpants it's i think we we don't know what the impacts are fully yet but so we're currently in my mom's house in saluda north carolina which is outside of Asheville, north carolina 
we're safe and sound and everything's good. Um, do you have any thoughts about the process of evacuating? Well, so we decided to get out earlier than I think a lot of people did. Um, yeah. yeah, so it was that was easy. That part was very easy. And, um, and you know, and we thought like, we don't have to stay and, and other people do have to stay. So it's almost like more responsible to just leave. Um, it's like less of a Get burden on, yeah, it's less of a burden on like other people who can, either can't stay, don't, you know, I mean, I mean who can't leave, etc. Um, I just have one thought, which was that, uh, when we were leaving, you know, there wasn't a ton of traffic yet. Cause again, we sort of left on the earlier end. There was one, there was this cavalcade of school buses that had a police escort. And I was like, at the time I was like, huh, wonder what that is. What I have is an answer it? for that what in respect. They they evacuated all the prisoners. Uh, you know, I thought the that prisons. at the time. I was like, that might be Because I was like, doing. why does that high school football team have they're such like a very mature. Police, <laughs> police escort? <laughs> and why are all the windows tinted? Did you see about the man who presumably got eaten by an alligator? Oh. Did you see this? My God. Yes. Uh, yes. So 71 years old. And he this lived, is like a nightmare scenario. Yes, he lives in Slidell, which Slidell is on the opposite side of Lake Pontchartrain. Well, it's right as you leave New Orleans, but it's it's on the water, the lake water, the lake. And close as we learned to David Duke's home. That's a different town. Oh, never mind. <laughs> Scratch that from the record. <laughs> so Slidell is right right on the lake, and he went outside. Uh, to assess some water damage, to assess the water situation. His wife was inside. He found himself confronted by an alligator. His wife heard him scream. She ran outside and beat back the alligator. You know, what with pots and pans, I don't know. Okay, Brave this woman. woman, I'm sorry, this woman is like, she's next level. She's like a, she's like an action hero. Yeah. Be, beat him back, but he had noticed her husband was injured enough that was going to need medical help so she gets in a canoe that she has because they do live by the water so and she paddles away presumably they're prepared so she paddles away to get uh help of some sort and when she returns with help her husband is missing completely gone i'm deeply troubled by the by that gator story yeah she returned and he was gone yeah so presumed to be eaten by the alligator Oh my god, it's like it feels like something from a movie, and of course, um, I'm like, well, but the go- the body's gone, like, and and so they took pains in the article to point out that the evidence supported her story because they were like, I know that sounds cra- I know that sounds crazy. Oh, officer, it would was- be a convenient moment, to <laughs> right, to husband. off your husband, and like, oh, officer, he was, I swear, he was right here, and I swear there was a big old gator we've been seeing she's like we've been seeing seven foot gators just all over the place but they said it they said it seemed the evidence pointed something to say about the about being on zoom meetings um which came up today in a meeting that i had where um someone was saying that they believe that uh one of the benefits if we could think of it of remote work is that um it reduces bias 
uh, was this research that he was? No, no, it was it was anecdotal. It was anecdotal. I mean, he, he it was admittedly anecdotal. Oh, okay. it wasn't being stated as a, as a fact, but as a like I'm hearing I'm hearing this from people. Um, there's not like hard data to back it up, but uh, but that seems to be like a common sentiment or something like that. You know. So. Yeah, I just I think it's like one of the few positive framings that I've heard about being in Zoom meetings because it is like. One thing is like, you know, every every call now is presumed to be, you asked me, oh, is your call going to be video call today? And I was like, well, every call now is presumed to be a video call. Yeah, it's like there's video no video kill the radio star. Yes, <laughs> totally, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, totally. I, I can believe this argument of, of like reducing bias in general. And I do think that, that like as a short person, it is it does feel like a bit of an equalizer that like my physical stature doesn't matter as much. But... Are you cognizant of your physical stature in a meeting? Um, I think I am, yeah. I think I am. When everyone's sitting down. I, I am aware of it when everyone's like much, like when everyone feels like bigger than me. Well, I'll say with Zoom, uh, unlike conference calls for whatever reason, uh, it does like create what is thought of as like awkward space between when someone finishes talking and when someone else talks, which it is awkward space. Yeah. Especially when multiple people want to talk at one time. Or being able to talk over each other. But on the flip in. side, you can't talk over people. So you have to wait for saying. Yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. To, 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 oh, that's that's kind of a good point that like people who might otherwise get talked over are more likely to be able to finish their thought because it's more awkward to interrupt people on Zoom or something. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, so yeah, so maybe, maybe there's some credence to that, but I, I also think people are really grasping for sort of, um, certain silver linings about, uh, about, about like our current situation. Like another thing was that, um, oh, like employees really have CEOs over a barrel right now because like they have so much power to set policies. Like CEOs are terrified of their employees right now. And that's kind of like the, the tenor. Um, is that true? I don't know. <laughs> I mean, to me, that sounds silly, but I guess let's not lose sight of because of, uh, I've re- I've read and seen a lot of this conversation about the job market and then about um, employees, which people are so afraid about employee retention that they're willing to give employees. retention. So like, oh, the, like oh, it's very it's important for employees to have flexibility, mm-hmm. i.e., remote, yada yada. But let's not lose the side of the fact that uh, businesses are very good at understanding what the demand is and then working to use that demand in their favor. So for a labor group or employees in an organization to demand remote work but not to demand less work Mm -hmm. or not to tie it to not an increase in productivity. Right. My fear would be that companies are like, oh, you, of course you can work from home. Because as we've seen, a lot of productivity has gone up with working from oh, home. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. It's now, worked better, I think. Some employees have been unhappy because they want to be in the office, and that's a different issue. But I wouldn't want companies to say, oh, yeah, you can work from home as long as this is the new like benchmark of what you do. And then employees say, okay, well, that's the that's the deal. So that's not, that's not the deal. Like mm-hmm. The deal isn't you having to work more, longer, or harder to, to do atone. something that technology allows and right. it's actually arguably especially as we put energy systems into place that are greener is overall greener gets people off the roads and whatnot mm-hmm. 
I just would hate to see businesses figure out how to pivot that. Yeah. What now is being couched as this thing, like a, a moment where employees are have CEOs over a barrel to where like a year from now, it's like everyone's working from home seven days a week. 12 hours a day in order to like all day every day (laughs) yeah i mean i i think there's there's something to that but i also think like i i don't know how much that's actually true like functionally true like if that were really true like wouldn't we be getting to a point where like people are getting paid more or like you know how how like in what way do people actually have people over a barrel like what you what you can do is quit and then go find like the least bad of your other options. But like so far there hasn't been to my knowledge any movement towards like making a radically better place to work. No. That's so much different from your other competitors. It's like still vetting the all the options to find like the least bad, the least bad one. And I don't think that counts as like that type of power of saying that we have that we have CEOs over a barrel as the workforce right now like unless there's collective organizing on the on for the workforce or something i don't uh, see well that. unless large organizations policies in this country change around large organizations it's small businesses that, that are, are getting the shit end yeah and small for sure. towns and small businesses are the ones that can't retain employees because google's and amazon's can pay them whatever they want to pay them to live in tulsa oklahoma right. for example <laughs> Just, Which you we'll know, just for that, example. Uh, in a minute. <laughs> so it's really small businesses. Anyway, this spooling out into a different conversation. No, no, this but. is the conversation. This is the conversation. Because I, I think like, say, like saying that, oh, the people have the power is very glib. Because the, I don't think that that's really the case. I mean, the only, the only, if the only power that you have is to, to quit, I mean, sure, that's something. But like... So far, we're all we're doing about it is just wringing our hands and saying that there's a labor shortage and not and not actually making any like strides towards like correcting that. So and as much as as much as there might be some power in collectively inside of an organization to quit, it also creates an an environment where if we are talking about the technology technological advances that allow people to w- work from home in the United States, we're also talking about technological advancements that allow employees to work anywhere in the world, which also means companies, mm-hmm. as they've been doing for, for decades now, can hire anywhere in the world. So we had, first we had industry that oh, moved to Texas, yeah. mm-hmm. to, uh, Texas, to move to Mexico to pay, uh, you know, a worker $2 an hour. But mm-hmm. now we can go to, to India, as we've done for 20 years, and right. hire customer service people. But not only customer service people now, we can hire out people in China mm-hmm. and, and anywhere in the subcontinent to to do something for cents on the on the dollar so right. sure you can so what's, the, your what's job. the actual leverage that we have i don't know yeah. um it's it's like hard for me to really see that as being like a power it's not <laughs> the power is in the policy uh-huh yeah so vote people <laughs> yeah <laughs> actually can't really say it better than that but um yeah and it's just like i think we're still in this place where we're we're um viewing like the millennial like gig i mean i'm just saying this off the back of this conversation i just had with a and where it's like the the idea it's like oh it's a very dynamic work environment like work you know environment for for people who are millennials and like wanting to do all these different jobs and like that people want to do so much and can do so much and like working all these different jobs and I was like that's such a weird and positive framing of saying like people are 
hustling really hard to like to pay the bills to pay the bills and meet the status quo it's like it, you could i mean i i appreciate trying to find like positive framings of things in some ways like because i think i i can get in a very doom and gloom you know perspective about the, about the work especially as i think about like what am i gonna do what are we gonna do with our careers in the you know moving forward but but uh i don't i don't see this as a positive framing it's like it's a survival tactic, not like a dynamic, fun perk no. of being a millennial, you know? Well, we think of work and money, but we should really get rid of those words and replace it with like resource sharing. Mm-hmm. And like the gig economy is because people aren't don't have enough resources and they have to go to many different places. Mm-hmm. Well, you've resources. been thinking, I think you've been thinking so much lately in a community-minded mindset mm-hmm. um, that I have found really, really inspiring, actually, or really interesting to think about, like, why do we acquire resources? And, and you've been really, like, you know repeating the sort of idea that like we acquire resources to share resources we we acquire resources to create um you know things for our for our community like we were just talking about you were saying if i could buy any property if i had if i had a large budget to buy any property right now what would i buy it wouldn't be like a multi-bedroom house like single family house it would be definitely i would buy like a a multi-family unit that then with the resources I have, I can house people literally that like your, don't your, need your to have the your, same mm-hmm. resource. Don't, they mm-hmm. don't need to, to cover the mortgage. I don't need to because I have those resources. Mm-hmm. Well, it's, and it's also like if I want to be a writer, you can't be a writer and you can't be a writer. We can't all be writers because then we wouldn't have other people to do other. I, I mean, mm-hmm. we, yeah, obviously, yeah, yeah, right? Yeah. This is an obvious statement. Obviously, not everyone wants to be a writer. Not everyone wants to be a anything. Mm-hmm. So we all are different things and we all rely on each other in different ways. And that seems to make sense to us. But there comes a jumping off point. Well, but it doesn't make sense to us, though. Like, I don't think we're, we're, we've lost so much track of, our, of wh- how we rely on each other that we don't view that as being a critical goal in like when we're right. acquiring wealth or we're acquiring, you know, why are we doing any of this? It's to like, it's, it's to like continue to to strengthen how we rely on each other not like to make ourselves independent from one another right you know and like i feel like i've been thinking about that so differently because you've been i don't i don't know maybe that's just always a viewpoint that you've had but it's something that you've been voicing a lot recently about like what what do we do with with what do, what do other people do with resources what do we want to do with resources like and if you're a principled person like you need to assess how you use your resources mm-hmm. And making yourself safe and comfortable, to my mind, should not be top of the list. Safe should be top of the list. Of course, yeah. But if you have a lot of resources in the world, I think think it's your moral responsibility to consider how you use those resources. And that doesn't mean that people shouldn't enjoy luxuries. That doesn't mean any of that. Oh, absolutely. Right, right. Or buy things. You should buy, you, you know, if you... Or you know. or buy things. I mean, of, of course, you're cognizant of your... your Impact your, and whatever, all that. The but. impact, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. Well, we were talking about this, about the, the hurricane, or actually before the hurricane, because there's been a lot of news items about the supply chain disruptions because of COVID and whatnot. Oh, yes. <laughs> and people say, well, you better go, uh, go better buy, buy your holiday presents. items yeah. uh, now if you want them, <laughs> as if as if the holidays will actually not materialize if you don't, if you don't have, have 
physical items. Physical things. Yeah. Yeah. It's absurd. And... And we then we got talking about this. It's all like better panic, better panic, better buy. Creates this panic, and then people buy out all these things. And it was like the beginning of the pandemic where everyone bought all the toilet paper, mm-hmm. and and it created a supply chain. And it created issue. a supply chain issue. When maybe there and wouldn't have been one. Maybe there would have been when one. When we anyway, were but. talking about the community aspect, it's like does no one have any faith that if you run out of toilet paper, <laughs> you wouldn't have no one person who would offer you toilet you. paper right right I mean, is that course, the world we live in it's like it's like i would rather have fifty thousand, you know whatever the thing is that you're hoarding re, like hoarding to make sure that my ass figuratively literally yeah. is covered when it's like we're supposed our job really should be to make sure that we are all covered right or like or that even not we you don't even have to think globally about it it's that like the people around you it can right. just your immediate circle like it, it does i think break your brain a little bit to think about how do we do like you know how do we like resource share on like a massive scale but we're talking about you and yours and like your family your friends like your community that you can see yeah physically. well it's like the the beauty of the buy nothing groups on facebook mm-hmm. um which you know i love yeah. <laughs> Uh, I mean, the, the the concept being that if you have something, someone else in your neighborhood that you're going to give away, someone else can use it, of course. Mm-hmm. But I think it, it points to even a greater communal aspect than just giving away things that you were going to throw away so it doesn't end up in a landfill. It's like the someone asking someone whose windows couldn't. Oh, this was great. Clothes yeah. and, and their, their car, car. <laughs> for, for a, a rainstorm asking if anyone had a place to... A covered spot. A so covered spot until they car. can figure out how to fix their car. You know, posted to the Buy Nothing group. And, and the post was like, I have a tarp, but it's leaking. <laughs> and there's something that's so that was so sweet about that. Yeah. People had, yeah. even if they couldn't help, they had suggestions, They're but like, it was oh, localized there's a church. Enough. There's a church on the corner. I think they have like a, you know, an overhang or something, you know. Yeah, localized enough that it's like you can actually help like direct like direct help from person to person. Yeah. And like and I think we're moving so much in that direction and and you know even thinking about like the aftermath of the hurricane it's the immediate aftermath right now like we're so it literally just happened as we're talking but you know uh, it seems like there's in our um in our maybe demographic or Generation, I don't know how widespread it is, but I in, in our circles I see a tons of like mutual aid, and that's kind of the thing. And like the trend, very much in my circles is like don't give to nonprofits, don't give to large organizations. Um, the best thing you can do is like person to person. Here's this person's like this person needs help. Here's their Venmo. Here's how you can like get either get something to someone directly or like mutual aid organizations Mm -hmm. and, and dispersing things that way. So it's like, it's like I'm handing out meals to my neighbor, to my neighbor and please Venmo me money. And it does require a certain amount of trust that you, that the person who's asking for help is someone who actually does need help and, or the person who's offering help is actually going to offer it and not like, you know, misuse those funds or whatever. But, um, but it feels like we're rel- we're starting to move much more towards like trusting people local, local, local locally local. and getting that help to people directly. Well, speaking of nonprofits, I, I don't know. Someone better be producing a documentary about the nonprofit industrial complex because we need to have a come to Jesus about these <laughs> large nonprofits in mm-hmm. the world and how I believe I, I separate, from, separate from nonprofits that fund scientific research that requires 
many millions of dollars in order to do that kind of trial and all all everything that's involved in that. I think large nonprofits pose just as many problems as they're. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I don't think you're alone in feeling that way at all. No, what we should be. Expecting. The nonprofit world has modeled itself after the corporate world. Yes, and made big conglomerates mm-hmm. that do nothing. Yeah, well, well, and it, it's it's the idea of like they market well, right? I think we're seeing more and more of that failure of fixing things on a global scale, or and when I say global scale, I just mean like a large scale, like yes, a, you know, even if it's regional or whatever, versus like giving a person something that they need and or trusting that and this is like sort of you know what we've talked about often about like you know the government giving people money instead of giving corporations money and hoping that it'll like make its way back to the economy is trusting that people know what to do with their own money like you can give somebody money and they're gonna know what's best to help themselves you know we can't like cater to the lowest common denominator of, oh uh, which is what we do all the time all the time we, especially all the time. when it comes to aid that needs to get monetary aid that needs to get to the to people who need it mm-hmm. we i mean it is like the process like god forbid we actually just give it to the, the person paperwork and all yeah. the things you know there's most 95 percent plus of all the money that's supposed to help with rent relief in this country is, is get... locked up oh yeah and yet we can just cut a check on a tuesday and united airlines and delta get it on a wednesday mm-hmm Mm-hmm. But yet we are worried about the people who are living on a trailer on the side of the mountain who pay $400 a month in rent. We are worried that they are somehow waging some sort of huge <laughs> scheme. Scheme. Right. Right, right, right. Or and like that one person who does manage verify, a scheme, right. that one person in the suburbs of Chicago who happens to swindle the government out of a million dollars, that means the $90 billion that we're supposed to go out. We need to stop <laughs> this whole process because this one asshole mm-hmm. bought a Ferrari and drove it around. Mm-hmm. And that was really, mm-hmm. that really pisses us off. Yeah. Yeah. And meanwhile, the, the shareholders at Delta, they just cash their check, which is the government's check, which mm-hmm. is. The our, our payers ch- check, yeah, our money, which is not even that, and the taxpayers are not the rich people who are getting those people have accountants who figure out, you know, the whole thing. Anyway, Tulsa. Tulsa. So. <laughs> <laughs> So our time in New York, uh, New York, our time in New Orleans is drawing uh, to a close. And so you feel that you're like ready to ready for the next frontier. That's how you're feeling about New Orleans. I don't know. Oh, okay. I'm a person who am is I'm not good at projecting how I'm going to feel in tomorrow. A month. Mm-hmm. Okay. That doesn't mean I don't plan for the future and just make decisions. Yeah, 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 of course, of course. But, but um, no, I'm just, I'm just wondering where your head's at with. That I way. also, when I leave a place, if I've lived somewhere and I leave, you know, and this is probably true of a lot of people, if not most people. It's this: the second you leave a place, that you, first of all, become immediately nostalgic. <laughs> yeah. Because, like I was talking about nostalgia the other day, and and mm-hmm. nostalgia is this this interesting emotion because. It's really an emotion that you can develop and really sit in like a warm bath because you know what the ending to the story was. Mm-hmm. 
if we're nostalgic about a certain period in pop culture, it's because we know what came after it. It's the comfort, so we know the it's world the comfort of, no, of reading the end of the mystery and then going to the beginning and, and reading it. Right. Which my so mom I have this, a nostalgic feeling when I leave a, a place because yeah. I know ex- I knew the whole beginning, middle, and end of what happened. Mm-hmm. So It's comforting. So it's comforting. So when we drove from New Orleans here to North Carolina, even just leaving to escape the storm, I was like immediately nostalgic for New Orleans. <laughs> oh, that's so funny. So I don't know how I'm going to feel. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, it's been it's been like, you know, it was funny. We were joking about this. I remember like when we first got to New Orleans where we were like, oh, this is great. And then we're like, is, tw- is 2021 just going to be that like weird thing that we're like, oh, remember that year that we lived in new orleans and it has been you know and it's been like you know all not quite a year but um three quarters of the year and uh and it's been great and i feel like it's been such a like refuge and like such an adventure we've had a lot of adventures and um and you know just the whole undertaking was an adventure but even you know in in being there and like really getting to know a place like on that level right is so cool and I, I you know i think it's it's weird that you should say that about like leaving because like i think like last week i would have been like yeah 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 i'm good we, we've done new orleans we can yeah. check the, you know we can we don't need to like extend our stay at all so but you know upshot is we have not decided what's coming next so far we are thinking we'll be in new orleans through the end of september or right. mid-September to the end, probably end of September, depending on when we can get back there uh, post-hurricane, um, but have no, no plans. plans. And, you know, I've been, you know, I've been very, like, for some reason, getting my back up when, when people ask me very, very sweetly and well-intentioned, and I'm feeling better about that. Okay, good, because we had a conversation about it. We did, we did. Like, people were asking, what's your plans? And for some reason, I would just be like, well, I don't know, okay? People were getting so annoyed i was getting annoyed i was getting annoyed i said you know when someone asks you it's it's similar to when someone asks you what do you do for a living Mm -hmm. like what are your plans those are questions that you don't need to feel compelled to answer because what they're asking is like oh you're a person in front of me (laughs) tell me something i want to ask you a question yeah I want to connect to indicate with you. to you that yeah. I would like to connect with you and I care about you. Yeah. So if you're in a party and someone's like, "What do you do?" You can say, "Oh, I'm well. I I'm live in Memphis." To, and yeah. then, you know, you could you, like it doesn't need you. Or don't I'm have like, to, I'm learning how to canoe. I'm taking a pottery that? class yeah. right now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and I guarantee you that person will probably find that way more interesting than whatever job yeah. you do. So it's similar when someone, "What's your plan?" Just tell them whatever you want to tell them yeah. about you. Yeah. Yeah, no, I know. Um, and and it's it's cl- obviously, I mean, so obviously about me and not about <laughs> and not about the person who's asking. And I appreciate people like caring enough to ask. I don't want them to not ask, but um, but it, uh, it just makes me feel like I need to have an answer for them. And then like, again, I'm feeling better about that now. Right. I'm just like I, I've taken I've really internalized that advice you gave me there. It's like, what is it, the question that's actually trying to be asked? And it's like hey how are you yeah i love you yeah what's what's going on you know that's that's what people are actually saying when they're yeah. saying like what to so what's next what's what's happening and i'm like uh, i don't know <laughs> i'll tell you what i know yeah. <laughs> well i tell you what might be happening yeah <clears throat> tulsa because one day you know i've been seeing a lot of um news articles about 
various small towns around the country that will pay you to move there for a year or so. Mostly small and mostly out of the way. Um, but I looked up this list. Do you remember? Some Muscle Shoals, Alabama. Mm-hmm. Uh, there might have been one in Vermont. There are several in the Midwest, but all in very small towns. Okay. And I thought, well, we don't have plans. Let me see what, what the <laughs> options are. I don't know. Yeah. I mean, we could decide that we want to be in the middle of Colorado and the mountains. And what if it offsets our cost for like the whole year? Right. And we could kick the can down the road. On, uh... <laughs> so I did a little research, looked into mm-hmm. some things. Of course, there were a lot of things we wouldn't qualify for only because there seems to be a desire to lure yuppies for lack of yeah. a better word. Yeah. So like computer engineers mm-hmm. and designers. So snooze. So to those <laughs> cities, I say... Where's your culture going to come from, I say, like, You're just going to have a real, yeah. <laughs> like, you, you think you want that thing, but you don't. Yeah. Like, look at what happened to the Bay Area. Right. <laughs> Let it be a cautionary tale. <laughs> uh, so, but a city that we did, the largest one is Tulsa. City of 400,000. Slightly bigger than New Orleans. Yeah, I was going to say, sidebar, slightly bigger than New Orleans with that population. Yeah. So, Andrew here just pulled up the TulsaRemote.com <laughs> application, and I completed it. Mm-hmm. And uh, How long did that take you, by the that way? That took me 15 minutes. <laughs> okay, okay. I will say, so it's a non-profit. Tulsa Remote is a non-profit organization that, one, their website is easy to navigate and good. Two, their application process is easy to navigate and good. And three, their follow through seems to be good because I got a you know um, an email yesterday or the day before that we have advanced to the second round. Ding 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 ding! Congratulations! And they would like to, to sch- <laughs> schedule uh, a video Zoom call, twenty minute video interview, An interview to see if we can qualify. If we can be Tulsa's next top resident. Yes. So an <laughs> application, the they did ask like, why do you want to move to Tulsa? In the field that I'm supposed to explain while I want to move to Tulsa, I wrote, uh, I don't know. I would love to learn more. (laughs) No, you didn't. You really? You did? Yeah. That was what you you put? I don't know. I said, I don't know. I'd love to learn more. Okay. Oh, oh, that's nice. That's nice. That's a spirit of curiosity. Yeah, sell me on Tulsa, baby. Sell me. Like, you're the tourism board. Mm -hmm. I don't need to tell you. They're going to give you $10,000 in cold, right? Isn't that what you said? Yeah, cold hard cash. $10,000 in cold hard cash to move to Tulsa. Okay, babe. Yeah. Lay it on me. Yeah. So, I don't know how many of you listening are geography nerds. (laughs) I'm certainly not. Well, more so than me. Right. Who thought that Delaware was a New England state until I was 19, 20? Until I went to college in in Massachusetts. Do you realize how truly in the middle of nowhere Tulsa, Oklahoma is? No, I actually don't. It is. I I don't. It is in the middle. I I think I'd have to look at a map. It is in the middle. Mm -hmm. Because I applied and I thought, you know, Tulsa is what, two hours from Chicago? No. Oh, it can't be more than three hours from Like some city? St. Louis? Nowhere. Really? Nowhere? I mean, you could probably go to... Omaha. <laughs> right. No, I don't know, actually. I don't even know. I just said that. I don't Des even know. Des Moines. I don't know. I don't know, but look at it. It's, it's, it's in the Iowa middle of City? nowhere. 
wait, where is where is Oklahoma? What am I even talking about? Yeah. Isn't Oklahoma underneath the Dakotas? God, I mean, we drove through the Dakotas. God knows there's <laughs> like not a whole lot of metropolises there. Lovely state, not not much. Right. So so yeah, the dream might be Tulsa. I've never been there. I can't speak to it. Mm-hmm. It is a tough sell, though. Well, for someone who doesn't have any ties no there, family, it's, it's, that's not no a knock on. That's not a knock on Tulsa. It's just like whatever. So you move it to a city, but that is not near other cities that you don't actually have any existing ties to, or you don't have like a community there. You don't have like a re, like family reasons to be there. Right. That's not a knock on Tulsa. It's just like what in general of any place would like be a draw to get you there under those circumstances. I do have a critique of of Tulsa. It's also a critique I have of Detroit. It's also a critique I have of upstate New York. Uh, Okay. Yeah, get this. (laughs) Get this. The first thing I did, second thing I did, after looking at apartments in Tulsa to see what even they looked like, Mm -hmm. I looked at the best bars and restaurants. Okay. Okay. The price points... For restaurants in Tulsa, similarly to restaurants in Detroit, similarly to restaurants in places like Buffalo, New York, mm-hmm. are similar to that of New York City. Similar pricing to New York similar City. Similar pricing. Mm. That's We're very talking like cocktail bars go from $12 up to $18 in Tulsa, Oklahoma. Yeah, that's very surprising to me. If, A so beer if, bar was like $7 to $12 for pints of beer. It's like... Tulsa, Oklahoma. You want to convince me to move to Tulsa, Oklahoma? But then Manhattan I have to pay Manhattan prices on my prices? beer. <laughs> yeah, I think that what that reveals is like the manipulated market that we live mm-hmm. in. Real estate wise, uh, supply everything. And I'm not advocating for food to be cheaper nationally mm-hmm. because we, I think, in America, don't pay enough for our food. But. Mm-hmm. And we definitely don't pay enough for the people who so, right who serve it, it and happen. make it yeah 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 I mean I'm just I'm thinking I'm just still stuck on this question of like what would what would induce me to move so like, like sort of they a, help you get to the city and then they put you in this you know whether or not you like a, a co working space that's a different conversation but they do provide you with the desk and you can meet all of these. Other people, startup mm-hmm. people, small mm-hmm. businessy people, uh, and then they also can connect you with apartments or houses if you would like that. Mm-hmm. Um, and then there are a couple of other things they do, you know, events and right, right, and, sure, sure, and sure. what seems to be pretty genuine networking opportunities because it is a smaller city, mm-hmm. so they're able to sort of like see what your industry is and look and. That's like really so, kind of great. What a great idea. So I do think for for people either who have ties. Mm-hmm. I mean, I if that program existed for Detroit, for instance, right. I, I would be like, we got to do it right now. Right. Like we got to get in there. Um, but I think part of it is just like knowing that it would be like in a place where either we're close to or have some ties or and or. Like, I feel, like, compelled enough by the cultural um, draw. Right. So, who knows? So, who knows what's next? But, you know, are we going to do this? Are we going to do the video interview? Well, we need to talk about it because I don't want to (laughs) waste anyone's time. (laughs) (laughs) Well, we'll debate that. I look forward to that. Right.
moving into the fall, even though the Delta variant has, for all of us, changed the direction of everything again and thrown everything up into the air and whatnot, um, are are starting again to reach out to people that we've had ongoing conversations with about mm-hmm. our work. We are really lucky to have been connected to people who are just like genuinely good really people. Really good people, yeah. Just really good people. In terms um, of like networking about in our terms writing. Of network, and, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we're writing away and trying to reach out to people. Anyone listening who knows people, feel free to send them our way. Yeah, uh, we're looking for representation. Yep. We are looking for um, production companies to produce our work. Right. People to collaborate with, all that. Uh, yes, <laughs> yes. We would love a manager who can help us Open do that doors. marketing I, component that really we just don't. Th- right. So that, but that requires asking people for help. Yes. Which is amazing to me. The people I've come across in in my life who who are very good at asking for help mm-hmm. and truly how far they get mm-hmm. with. And these are people who are finely talented and smart and, and yeah. even they're fine. Yeah. Average, uh, I should say average amount of effort sure, sure, into sure. the work they do. Sure. And that is not a judgment. That's a good, we, that's good. good. They put an average amount of effort into the things they do and their quality is average or above average, but let's say average, but they don't have a problem asking people for the help they need. Mm-hmm. You and I have a problem sometimes of asking for help. Yeah. We'd rather... Our balance is like, let's work really, 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 really right. hard, way above average in terms of our effort. Yes. And then less like below average on like asking, just like asking. Asking. Yeah. So as we started, I say all this because as we started to ask for help... Again, I, on our next on, round yeah. of, yeah. Uh, I <laughs> I typed into Google how to ask for help. <laughs> no, you didn't. Did, did you really? I did. You did? I did. And what did you find out? And I thought, you know was what? Was it helpful? I'm, and there was, there, there was a TED <laughs> talk oh God, that's like how so, to ask for help. You're so cute. That's so funny. And at first I was like, I know how to ask for help. Mm-hmm. I don't need to watch a YouTube video. A <laughs> TED talk on how to ask for help. And then I thought, Andrew, you know what? You're going to watch this video, this 12-minute video. You're not going to turn it off early Mm -hmm. because you're annoyed at introductions, which is at sidebar, people need to work on their introductions, i.e. just cut the introduction from whatever you're doing because we know why we're there. This is a quick sidebar. We're going to get back to how to ask for help. But you are taking a course where you're just like, okay, why are I signed up for the course. You signed up to teach the course. We're both here for the same reason. Cut the shit about telling me why this topic is important. We obviously agree with it. I'm just taking a free class because just for my own knowledge. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, I signed up, dude. Like we obviously both agree that this is important. The entire first week was why, what we were going to do and why we were going to do it. It's like, no. Let's I know what it. we're doing. Right. I know why I want to do it. Asking for help. Yes. 12 minute TED talk video. Yes. I'm going to endure her intro, <laughs> which thankfully was not very long okay. and she did a pretty good job. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to watch this video. And then I'm going to think after I watch it, what are the takeaways? Mm-hmm. And I wrote down the four steps. I'm like, I'm going to write down what she says. Even though this sounds like such common sense. Then, <laughs> then I drafted an email asking for help from someone. Mm-hmm. 
Then I went back to that list, those four points that she had said. And it's then I realized that I had not, in fact, done the things that that I thought in watching the video were so obvious. Well, do you have any takeaways? So the first and most important is to be specific. Mm -hmm. Such common sense. Mm -hmm. But when you're asking for help a lot of times... Okay, yes. You want to be you want to keep someone else open that whatever way they can you you don't want to hear the no. The thought is right. whatever way you can help me would be great. Right. And so then so then it leads to me saying things like, "Hey, I'd love to pick your brain about this or like I'd love to like hear your thoughts." Yes. Or even we're, <laughs> you know, we're we're hoping to, you know, move things forward. Mhm. Get, know, get to the next step. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and often there, there could be many different things that someone you're asking for help could do that would help you. Right. But if you, if you don't decide for them the you way to, yeah. that you want yeah. them to help, yeah. they're, they're less inclined to help you at all. Right. So you have to have faith that if you ask them for a spe- specific thing, if we write to someone and say, can you do, can you help us find a manager? Mm-hmm. They might be able to help us on multiple might levels, but come back with, I can no, no. Or they might come back with a yes, let me think about it. Yes, that would be great. Mm-hmm. Or they might come back with a, I can do this instead. Yeah. But, but trust you shouldn't anticipate that. And you shouldn't say, well, also, you know, this or that or the other. So I had written an ask that was not specific enough. Yeah. I had written an ask that uh, never apologize, mm-hmm. never uh, sort of give any extraneous Um, commentary on your ask Mm -hmm. and I know that I'm only like this tiny little person in you know this huge universe yeah apologizing before you ask for help sure so because you don't need to tell someone how to feel about you if you're asking for help from someone I if you're asking for someone to help someone you know then you just need to trust that they like you Mm -hmm. if it's a a stranger then you just got it they're going to think of you However, they're... And they're going right. to think of you poorly if you tell them how to think of you. Correct. Oh, God, yeah. And to just keep it concise and trust that that's not going to be... That's not going to be viewed as Terse rude or, or insensitive. Mm-hmm. And so I hadn't really done those very mm-hmm. well. Mm-hmm. And then when I recrafted crafted it, it was much simpler. It was just like, hi, this is what I want. <laughs> can you can help? Can you help me? Yeah, and you know, like, and there was, you know, there was a polite and hope you're well, and, and yeah, exactly. Of course. But 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 one, not not like two paragraphs, that, blah blah blah. And I hope you're well, yeah, yeah, yeah. Blah, 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 you know. So sometimes I think I know, but I actually don't. It's like it, it it actually pays to like kind of really go back to basics and being like, what am I trying to achieve with this, and have I. And it's yeah, and to think, oh, this is common sense. Okay, well, if it's common sense, are you applying the common sense? Isn't it funny how much asking for help is like a skill that I'm like, I feel like we're continually, continually like learning how to do better. Yes. You know, it feels like it's been like I like it's has never gone to a point where I'm like, oh, check. Okay, I figured it out. (laughs) I figured out how to ask people for help. Yeah, I didn't never imagine that this would be such like a big deal, like in our like creative career that it would be like still something to be figured figured out and innovated. And so this is a thought that that we that I 
shared with you yesterday um, research that I saw about rejection. Rejection activates, not completely, but there is some evidence to suggest that rejection activates pain receptors in your brain. And they've even shown that uh, painkillers, you know, Advil, Tylenol, uh, reduces your the feeling, feeling of rejection. This area needs more research to say anything definitively. Um, but the scientists, they, they say this points to some, you know, the, the, the need in prehistoric man to maintain social bonds because when you were rejected from the group, right. you were sure to die. Right. There was no way as humans you had to, going back to our resource sharing conversation. So you had to perceive it as being like painful enough that you won't avoid it at all costs. Yeah. So when we are rejected in any kind of way, socially rebuked in like small ways, and we feel in our brain that was maybe an outsized reaction, which sometimes we do have outsized reactions. Mm-hmm. But to have a negative feeling about what we imagine is a really small slight so when I'm like so when I get burned and I'm like ooh ouch it's really that's really actually what I mean (laughs) it is ouch yeah Yeah. when someone is rude to you you're like oh that's dung even though I don't know this person or really Mm -hmm. care it's like yeah well that's that's humans baby Mm -hmm. so the point is is that we try to like do everything we can to avoid being hurt right so in asking for help I should say yeah no asking for help I I saw it's anticipating a way to avoid pain the possibility of rejection, mm-hmm. i.e., the possibility of pain. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we're all we're just such simple creatures, really, aren't we? At the end of the day, little soft little animals. Yeah. Yeah. So when you're asking for help and you feel like this is terrible, it's because your brain's like, "Oh, I don't want them to come back and reject be me because I don't want to feel bad. I don't want to feel hurt." <laughs> but you will be okay. You will be okay. My mother has a cat. She does. And that cat's name is Daisy. And that cat... My mom is a very kind-hearted person. Mm-hmm. My mom takes care of a lot of things and a lot of people. Now my mom is taking care of Daisy, her cat, who is... She's, de- she's the most decrepit creature. So about a month or two ago uh so over the past year this cat which has been in our lives for 12 years or so it was a stray so who knows how old it was when it, when it came into our lives it's the most short squat dumpy little <laughs> it, it like she has like these little tiny, tiny wee little like t-rex little legs yeah like and a little she- round bunny <laughs> and tiny short legs and she's been great company mm-hmm. uh, she's not particularly nice mm-hmm um but unless she wants to be that's not a prerequisite for right. so in the past i don't know eight months ten months she's s- s- deteriorated very quickly mm-hmm. and uh, my mom took her to the vet and they said she has arthritis Depression. oh well okay so first my grandmother died and when my grandmother died and my granddad went into the nursing home the vet said that the cat had was depressed mm-hmm. because her her, people. her living situation had changed and her people were no longer around. Then she developed arthritis rather quickly too. Mm-hmm. So that so she was slowly losing mobility. And then in the past couple months, my mom took 
the cat back to the vet and said, I think it's time to put it down. Yeah. And the vet said, oh, she, this cat has more years to live. It's just arthritic. And she got better for a while. She, she responded well to the medicine and, and, and would walk around, not easily, but she would get around. But now it's just to the point where she doesn't. She doesn't move all day. She doesn't move. Yeah. And she's so sweet. And you she, were, you're so sweet to her. Like you, you care, she, she can't really like get up out of her bed. So no. you carried her in the bed outside with you. For fresh air, yeah. For fresh, while you were working yesterday. And I laid her in the sun. Mm-hmm. Made sure she didn't get too hot. Because mm-hmm. brought her food, bring her food to the bed, let her eat laying down. Mm-hmm. Then carry her to the litter box. Mm-hmm. So, you know. The quality of life. This is really end of life care. Yeah, or like elder cat. Elder she's, care she's cat so care. so sweet. She'll just meow to get petted for a little bit. Mm-hmm. Purr. And, mm-hmm. But I think the time has come. Yeah, and you know, I never had so I never had pets like of this like mammals <laughs> in the house growing up, and I do think there's a certain argument towards like be be like having death be kind of more of a familiar concept that I never got used to. Hmm, interesting. And I'm just thinking about that because I was like just had like a moment that today where I was like communing with the cat. I mean, I'm allergic to her, but. Um, she can hardly help that. It's yeah. not her fault. <laughs> um, so like I'm, I was just chilling with her and like, you know, and just being like, well, today's another, it's a good day to be, you know, to be alive. And maybe this is going to be one of her, her last, her last days. days. And, and I was just like, and I never really think about stuff like that. And, uh, and I, I mean, I, I, I understand she's a cat. She's just a cat. Like, <laughs> but, but, um. But I do think maybe there there's something to that about like kids who grow up with animals have like a maybe maybe like a I don't know. Have, yeah, have, you and I have a different concept of death. Yeah, and we're that. writing about death, yeah. so this is something that I'm really interested in, like thinking about and writing about and reading about right now, is like our relationship to death and as people and and uh, and it's sort of like the pre- ever present specter you know yeah. like and um and if, and p.s it's a comedy <laughs> we're writing but um yeah it's just uh it's something that like i weirdly weirdly being here with a cat that's at the end of its <laughs> life has really gotten me thinking in interesting ways about the about like human parallel that we're writing about yeah <laughs> I've never, I've never taken care of. I mean, this cat is fully disabled. Yeah. Poor girl. Poor, baby. Poor girl. Mm-hmm. But you know, my family is is like many southern families. We don't consider pets part of the family. But that being said, I think it's kind of semantics because we like do we take love care them, of them and care for and, them. And, yeah. yeah. And so it's it's just we'll take her and and put her down, and it will be just like the end of a, a beautiful little thing mm-hmm. and it's just I guess what I'm trying to say is like you really see and you see it in people too of course but in America we are talking about dying in America this comedy is about dying in America um, that we're writing in yeah in in nursing homes and assisted mm-hmm. living and when you get to that end of your life there's so so many times where strangers become those people who see your last moments mm-hmm. 
partially because of your your functions have now deteriorated to the point where you need to you need a lot of help much like being walked to the litter box for this <laughs> yeah, cat yeah but for this cat we still walk the cat it's so small we can take care of it we can take care of all of its mm-hmm. needs feeding it and bathing it and mm-hmm. brushing it and taking it to the litter box and so you get to see the whole like we get to be with this little cat Creature. through its mm-hmm. truly through its like end life mm-hmm. fully in a way that we are so afraid of death yeah as humans that yeah. Even though we can be with our loved ones until the last moment, there's so many ways in which we put a little bit of space between that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And not to be too morbid, but we can decide when pet, when pets who are of a certain mm-hmm. condition leave this earth. Mm-hmm. We can take them in and we can do that in a ritualized way if we want to yeah which we don't have an, a framework yeah, we for, don't have that really most places we can't decide that that the quality of life is diminished to a point where now we can just L- ease it into go. the next mm-hmm. yeah mm-hmm. so that's our conversation about death yeah be sure to tune in Listen to us every Sunday night, 6 to 8 Eastern on Electromagnetic Radio. And right here on our podcast. And right here, which also airs on Electromagnetic Radio, the first something Tuesday. of something. The first Tuesday of the month at 2 p.m. Eastern. Right. We go. We write, curate, and produce as VJ and Stevens, and you can subscribe to Don't Think Twice anywhere you listen to podcasts. Normally, we'd be working on a whole slate of live events in New York City and across North America, but pandemic. We're currently writing and living nomadically, pitching our scripted works for television. You can learn more about us at vjandstevens.com. That's V-I-J-A-Y and Stevens with a P-H. We're at VJ and Stevens on Instagram, and our assistant Susan is still learning how to tweet at memos from Susan.